Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're very concerned that there's a lot of ambulances that are sitting empty this weekend. Now on the news hour, situation critical again. The dire shortage of ambulances across the province, putting all of us at risk with a major city unstaffed. Plus, it's really scary. It definitely makes me makes me nervous. Another spate of random and violent attacks in Vancouver, leaving several victims injured and nobody in custody. And we're really excited. <laughs> Ready, set, open. The PNE makes a summer comeback. We are there on opening day. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Well, if you or your loved ones need an ambulance this weekend, be prepared to wait. That's the warning from the paramedics union tonight as the health care crisis province-wide only worsens. And as Travis Prasad reports, some major cities are said to be completely unstaffed this evening. In Maple Ridge, there's no shortage of outdoor activities. But if summer fun leads to a medical emergency this weekend, getting help could take a while. The union representing BC paramedics says not a single ambulance is staffed in Maple Ridge. We're essentially putting out a, you know, a, a public service announcement. The ambulance paramedics of BC sounding the alarm again about critically low staffing levels. Normally they can bring in cars from other communities like Mission, uh, the Tri-Cities or even Langley, but we're also noticing significant amount of cars out of service there as well. The paramedics union says up to 40% of ambulances in parts of Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley are parked. That means delays are inevitable. Jackie Joyce felt it firsthand. She called an ambulance after falling and breaking her hip last week. Paramedics arrived at her Surrey home more than 10 hours later. Judging the apologies they had when they came in, that you know they knew it wasn't acceptable uh, for me to have had to wait that long. Uh, with that kind of an injury, and I feel bad for them. The problem is province-wide. In the past month, two heart attack victims died in Ashcroft while waiting for ambulances. It's unclear if they would have survived had paramedics arrived sooner, but the union says it would have increased the odds. Compounding the issue is understaffed emergency departments, forcing at least three ERs to close overnight. BC Emergency Health Services says we are closely monitoring staffing levels across BC and taking actions to fill shifts as quickly as possible when they are vacant. As a standing policy, BC EHS sends the closest available ambulance to 911 medical emergencies. A lot of these vacancies are not short notice. A lot of them are long-term vacancies that they just haven't been able to fill. And with trouble recruiting the hundreds of paramedics so desperately needed, people demanding faster life-saving service could be waiting years for it. Travis Prasad, Global News.
And in Syria, a 40-year-old man has died, and a suspect driver is in custody after a high-impact collision near the Langley Bypass. The scene of the crash, 192, and the Langley Bypass was closed for hours this morning as collision investigators searched the aftermath of the crash. RCMP say the driver of a Nissan SUV entered the Langley Bypass off 56th Avenue just before midnight when they hit an eastbound Honda sedan. The driver of that sedan died at the scene. The driver of the SUV was taken into custody but no charges have been laid. Alcohol and speed are now both being investigated as possible contributing factors to the crash. Yet again, there has been another spate of violent attacks in Vancouver, and still there is no suspect in custody tonight. Three people, ranging from a woman in her 30s to a man in his 70s, were violently assaulted in a span of just two hours on Thursday. And as Amadagahi reports, now the organizers of a grassroots safety network are stepping forward to protect citizens themselves. I freaked out to go at night on my own. Random assaults in Vancouver continue at a level concerning to people and police. This week, another example. These were very violent incidences, um, and it happened in, in broad daylight on a summer night. Police describe it as a trio of violent stranger assaults all happening over a short time frame and in close proximity on Thursday night. The first attack happening here on the seawall underneath the Camby Street Bridge at 6.30 in the evening. A 70-year-old man tackled to the ground from behind and beaten. 45 minutes later... At West 11th and Spruce Street, a 33-year-old woman walking her dog approached from behind and punched in the face. And 90 minutes after that, a 23-year-old woman stabbed at Broadway and Alder, causing serious injuries. In each case, each uh, victim was approached from behind, and they were random in nature. All these victims did not know um, the, the suspects, so they're very random in nature, unprovoked, and obviously that makes it very concerning. Vancouver police continue to say an average of four people a day are assaulted by a stranger in the city. Um, this is the sentiment of many people. You know, mothers are worried for their daughters. Parents are worried for their children. And it's, it's just really devastating to see that this is what Vancouver has come to. University students, Badan Shivala and Emily Huang, know something has to change, which is why they have created a network of what they say are safe spaces in the city. So far, 16 locations have signed up as safe hubs. The Bolt Safety Society Safe Hub map is available to anyone who needs it online. We're trying to end violence, harassment and abuse as swiftly as possible. And we rely on our community to be able to make that happen. Because the fact is that, you know, there are these horrible things happening that people are committing violence against each other. But people are also capable of kindness, I think. Um, business owners will, you know, find the altruism in themselves to say, you can sit here, you don't have to buy anything, I'll keep you safe for these few hours, maybe I'll call you an Uber, that sort of thing. Meanwhile, police say it's too early to know if the suspect in all three Thursday night attacks is the same person. The similarities in each case so far, the only clue. Amadagahi, Global News. Homicide investigators are urging witnesses of a fatal swarming attack in Surrey to come forward. The plea comes after a 45-year-old man was fatally stabbed on Thursday night near 184th Street and Fraser Highway. Investigators now say the victim was riding on a bus when he got into some sort of confrontation with a girl. He then got off the bus and was confronted by a group of young people and stabbed. A passing driver saw what happened and called police, and one person was arrested shortly after the incident but has since been released. If you have dash cam footage or if you witnessed the incident, call IHIT or Crime Stoppers.
RCMP in Port Alberni are appealing for clues in the murder case of a local man that happened last year. 35-year-old Terrence Mack was found dead in a residence in the 3200 block of 3rd Avenue on May 4th of 2021, 15 months ago. Investigators say they are confident that Mack's death was a homicide. Port Alberni's Serious Crime Unit believes more people are holding key information about Mack's murder and they're encouraging anyone with information to come forward to bring closure to Mack's family. To the wildfire fight in this province now, with fire crews taking quick action to get the upper hand on two human-caused fires that broke out in the Okanagan on Friday. The Cousins Creek Fire in Kalamaka Lake Provincial Park was highly visible, but attacks by air and ground crews managed to hold it at less than five hectares. As of this afternoon, it was removed from the BC Wildfire Service map altogether. The Vlem Creek Fire, which was spotted just outside Silver Star Provincial Park, about nine kilometers east of Armstrong, was reported as burning 10 hectares of forest by nightfall last night, but the BC Wildfire Service has now more accurately mapped it at just three hectares in size. That positive news comes as persistent hot, dry weather and a series of storms sparking lightning strikes across the province are sparking more fires. And the BC Wildfire Service now says some of these conditions are expected to last well into September. As Paul Johnson explains, that has fire crews on the south coast also on high alert. Grilling outside with an open flame, one of summer's best-loved rituals. But if you're hoping for that memorable outdoor fry-up, you'd be wise to pay attention to this. No open fires, no briquettes, and so it's just uh, uh, propane barbecues at this time. With the hot and dry weather persisting, in West Van, they've now banned fires and any kind of barbecuing that doesn't involve containerized fuel and the grill that it's designed for. So if you want that smoky flavor you can only get from briquettes, you're going to have to wait a while. Our weather modeling is saying that our fire season will continue until at least mid-September. Province-wide, things are looking better than last summer's terrible heat-dome-influenced wildfire season. The cool and wet spring meant fires were fewer and slower to start. But recent weeks have seen a return to more typical conditions. And a cluster of lightning strikes in the last 72 hours sparked a number of fires big enough to be on the radar of the wildfire service and have them taking action. The majority of them are under two to three hectares. So that in itself is thanks to um, our aviation teams getting out there quickly. Back in West Van, the fire chief has another reminder. If you smoke, now is not the season to casually flick your butts away. And don't even think about smoking in a park. That's banned right now. For anyone needing a reminder of the dangers of sparks and flames right now, check out this grass fire near UBC Saturday. We would just ask that they be diligent when they're discarding their cigarettes. Don't put it in a trash container. Don't throw it in, you know, out on the street um, or anything like that. That please uh, extinguish it properly uh, using water and then discard of the cigarette in garbage after it is well saturated. In West Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. 
NBC's smoke jumpers are being deployed to the Columbia region to deal with a rash of new fires in that region. More than 1,000 lightning strikes were recorded in the southeast on Friday, sparking dozens of new fires. The smoke jumpers are based in northern BC and they're trained to parachute into hard-to-reach areas and attack those fires before they become a big problem. The fire service says crews are being deployed to the highest priority fires first. Eastbound travelers on the Okanagan connector last night were stuck in traffic for hours as a semi-trailer loaded with lumber burned. The fire started sometime before 5 o'clock on Friday evening near Brenda Mine Road. It's unclear how it started, but the debris blocked the road until almost 1 o'clock this morning. Witnesses who were in line with hundreds of waiting cars described the scene as chaos. You know, we kind of expected to see... Uh, some fire trucks fairly quickly, but uh, we didn't see anybody. There was a couple of paramedics that had gone by on the opposite side of the road eventually. At about three hours after the fire, or after we arrived, uh, we saw two water trucks go by. So we were all kind of trapped, really. There was no way we could get around. And the bulldozer came. We assumed that the bulldozer was going to maybe move the meridians over. Some traffic would be directed into the opposite lane. You know, 50 feet would have got us by quite easily. To, can, to have the traffic flow, but there was nobody there to direct the traffic. We were running out of water, so we didn't actually get out of there till about 12.45. And from what I heard, there's people still coming behind like two and a half hours later. So it seems like there was nobody at the back end warning about the closure on the road. And city crews are still removing what is left of a very close call involving a tree on Vancouver's west side. The park board is clearing this massive mess of branches on West 27th Avenue at Oak Street. Early Friday morning, a huge tree fell on four vehicles, including one with a family of five people inside it. Firefighters removed some of the downed debris with chainsaws before cutting out the vehicle's front windshield in order to safely rescue the entire family of five. All were uninjured, and Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services says that is a miracle. The park board is assessing the tree, but so far there is no word on why or how it toppled without warning. Coming up, reopening in the wake of tragedy and controversy. The Greater Vancouver Zoo opens to the public with one fewer animal. Plus. COVID has totally disrupted um, all of our cultural norms. The long journey home for a mother who died of COVID. What her family wants you to know. That's after the break. Almost one full year after a B.C. Indigenous man lost his unvaccinated sister to COVID-19, his family is finally bringing her ashes home to their traditional territory near Fort St. James. While Tyrone Joseph fought hard to promote science, he says his family is still dealing with the impact of misinformation. Kristen Robinson explains. Tyrone Joseph has had almost one year to contemplate the loss of his sister. We need to cherish the time we have together. Life is just so short and precious. Anna Joseph died from complications of COVID-19 last September. She was 57 and unvaccinated with underlying health conditions. It's a tragedy that, you know, she was, she had passed way before her time. Before Anna's death, Joseph shared how she and her 30-year-old son, also unvaccinated, were both fighting for their lives in the ICU. He and his son urged people to get vaccinated. Just do it. 
you, you got to think about more than just yourself. Joseph says the message managed to sway some family members. Despite their personal misgivings about science or vaccines, they have recognized that you know, our loved ones are important and the ones we've lost, we wish they were here today. After 11 months of grieving, COVID has totally disrupted um, all of our cultural norms. Joseph is embarking on a long journey home, riding north to join family members on their traditional territory at Tache on the Tlazden Nation, where they'll spread his sister's ashes. It's especially important for us to bring Anna's cremated remains there to bury, be buried with my mother simply because um, that was kind of a role she filled in our family after my mother had passed 10 years ago. COVID isn't over and um, we're living with the effects like right now. With the housing and opioid crises worsening, Joseph says the division exposed over the last two years has exacerbated inequality and is unsustainable. If this is the new normal, then we've learned nothing. We can't continue like this. We need to love one another and be there for each other. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The Greater Vancouver Zoo quietly reopened its doors today following its temporary closure caused by an alleged vandal or vandals. This morning, zoo staff pulled open the gates and let visitors back in after being closed since Tuesday. That's when the zoo closed down after somebody is said to have cut through a fence, allowing a pack of wolves to escape. Most were rounded up and recaptured, but one-year-old Chia was later found dead. And on Friday, one-year-old Tempest was found near the zoo and returned to the enclosure alive. Langley RCMP are investigating the vandalism and break-in at the zoo, and they are looking to speak with anyone who has any information. Coming up, standing up for the stranded. Overwhelmed and overbooked, why airlines have officially been put on notice by governments. Plus... Taking a stand against bullying from behind the handlebars, the bikers revving up their engines to make life better for kids. That's after the break. Welcome back. Well, this year, getting away by plane has turned into an exercise in frustration for many travelers with delayed or canceled flights and tales of lost luggage rampant. Now, the federal government says it's trying to make the process easier and less stressful for Canadians trying to rebook a flight. Charmin Samani has more on the new regulations set to land at airports across the country next month. Long lineups, lost luggage and flight delays are all we seem to hear about at airports nowadays. To help make it less frustrating, the federal government is introducing a new rule for all flights going in and out of Canadian airports. Starting September 8th, any flight that is delayed by three hours or more will require airlines to rebook or refund customers. It's going to be a lot more fairer for travellers. When flights get cancelled, there are a lot of ripple effects. It is really important to have that kind of safety net when travelling. Travel expert Jennifer Weatherhead says airlines will need to follow the rule even though the delay may be out of their control. So that could be weather-related, it could be mechanical-related staff shortages, those kinds of things, even as far as, you know, a bunch of customers or passengers being stuck in that customs line. The Canadian Transportation Agency says if airlines aren't able to rebook passengers on a flight within 48 hours, they will have to give customers a choice between getting a refund or rebooking them without a charge. These airlines are going to be making these changes for you. Well, hopefully what will be happening is that the airlines will be on top of this and be aware of delays and they will be 
proactively rebooking you already. Weatherhead says it will be important for travelers to stay patient once the new rule goes into effect. Since airports are still dealing with staffing challenges and many airlines have cut down their flights. Charmin Samani, Global News. To the travel woes south of the border now, where since May, nearly a quarter of all U.S. flights have been delayed, including more than 16,000 flights today alone, with thousands more canceled. That has left millions of travelers stranded and angry. Now the U.S. Transportation Department is ordering airlines to improve their customer service policies or face the consequences. Jennifer Johnson has more. From January till July of this year, over 120,000 U.S. flights have been canceled. Millions more have been delayed, and travelers are fed up. I really feel sorry for everybody that's traveling right now. Now the nation's airlines have been given an ultimatum from the U.S. Transportation Department. Improve customer service or the government will impose new passenger rights. One proposal could go into effect by the end of the year. But the most pressing one is the one issued as a proposed rule by the U.S. Department of Transportation, which requires airlines to refund money if they just delay your flight by more than three hours or if they change your arrival or departure city. That's a big departure from previous rules. The Transportation Secretary has sent a letter to all the airlines saying the level of disruption Americans have experienced this summer is unacceptable. American taxpayers paid billions to help the airlines stay afloat during the pandemic. Now government officials want airlines to spell out their policies before passengers buy a ticket. The message to the airlines is that you've got to make it easier for passengers to understand their rights and you've got to support passengers when they experience delays. The airlines may be motivated to act quickly. A bill in Congress has just been introduced that would require airlines to issue an immediate refund if they cancel a flight for any reason. With Labor Day weekend, Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, changes can't come soon enough for frustrated travelers. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. In health matters, many are anticipating Health Canada's possible approval of an updated version of the COVID-19 vaccine ahead of a possible new wave of infections this fall. Right now, the agency is reviewing bivalent booster candidates from Moderna and Pfizer. They aim to protect against the original strain of COVID-19 and the Omicron BA1 subvariant. Earlier this week, British regulators approved Moderna's vaccine. Some people are debating whether to wait for the revamped shots or go with a current available booster now a procession of motorbikes riding to raise awareness against bullying stormed the streets of Langley today we have in a couple cases you know really made a difference in kids lives the ride was organized by bikers against bullying they escort bullied children to school and mentor children at risk of becoming bullies themselves the local chapter has been operating since 2019 and was founded by David Toner and Sandra Martins Toner their son, Matthew Martins, was beaten to death at a Surrey Skytrain station in 2005 in what his parents call a case of extreme bullying. You know, if everybody could try and keep in mind that although this is our awareness day and they do a, an anti-bullying day in February, it should be something that's front and center all the time. It, it happens every day, not just once or twice a year. And, you know, wearing a pink shirt or something is great, but the thing that kids really need is to be engaged, you know, to have people in the community know that they care about them, they want to help them, and we're here to support. Great cause. Coming up, we catch up with Michael Newman on opening day of the PNE. Plus, 
moving day for an old sign given new relevance. Why this blast from the past is getting a new home. That's after the break. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Welcome back. Well, a blast from Vancouver's past is one step closer to being installed in its brand new home. The old aristocratic restaurant sign was recently moved to the old Canada Post site in downtown Vancouver, which is being rebranded as the Post Development. The neon exhibit at the Museum of Vancouver closed in June, and the iconic sign, along with more than 20 others, is being restored for public display at the new West Georgia and Richard Street building, which will house Amazon and others in its office spaces. Risty, the man in the top hat and bow tie, once graced the storefront of the popular diner at Granville and Broadway. The refurbished signs will be unveiled to the public in 2023. Very cool. Can't wait to see. And Kasha Baderka joins mm. us now making a guest appearance this oh, Saturday. Yes. Good to see you, Kasha. <laughs> Look at the forecast yeah. and the fire risk with some thunderstorms happening right now in the interior. Yeah, that's right. We do have mm. that going on. I'll show you that on Radar Returns. But first, I want to show you what's happening just outside from the Wall Centre Hotel Tower Cam, looking through English Bay at the water. It's 24 degrees, mostly cloudy skies. That's at YVR, but much of the lower mainland is looking up to clear conditions. And here's the plan over the next several hours. A daytime high of 25 expected tomorrow. That's near the water, but feeling like 30, 28 away from the water. But yeah, talk, tack on another five degrees and that's how it'll feel tomorrow. Today's highs, look at that. It was a hot one. Lytton climate was the hottest spot not only in the province, but in the country at 37.1 degrees. And we did get some records broken. Uh, not as much as yesterday, but most impressive here, Salmon Arm, 33.1 eight degrees shattering a record set back in 1991 at well 33 degrees uh, Vancouver Harbor also broke a record okay take a look at tonight's evening temperatures around bedtime this will be pretty uncomfortable for a lot of us uh, as you can see mid to high tw uh, high teens, even in the 20 degree range. Uh, so do what you can to stay cool. We continue to have a heat warning in effect for parts of the province. And this is your Smoky Skies Advisory in the southeast of the province. The current state of affairs is 190 active wildfires, 66 of which have been caused in the last two days 80% of which have been caused by lightning. And no wonder, look at all these lightning strikes. So this deep purple color, all those little dots are lightning strikes. We had over 22,000 of them in the past 24 hours. Some new fires ignited in the southeast of the province as well as in the caribou. That's marked in the orange color. So. Um, Sarah had alluded to the thunderstorms that are booming right now. As you can see, this is happening now across the province. And tomorrow, we do have the thunderstorm risk yet again, all areas marked in green. The good news is that tomorrow's thunderstorms, they're not going to be as aggressive as yesterday's were. So here's hoping uh, nothing's going to happen with these storms. Otherwise, it's going to be a partly cloudy sky for a lot of us. So it's going to be another hot and sunny day. And then into the afternoon with daytime heating, we do have that potential for thunderstorms to be night. Have a look at your long range from Metro Vancouver. Unfortunately, not a drop of rain in sight and no real relief from the heat over the next several days. There you go. Looking hot next week. Thanks so much, Kasha. We'll see you in a few minutes. Well, it was perfect conditions today for opening day at the PNE as a summertime tradition NBC made a comeback this weekend. Our Michael Newman was there as hundreds of people waited in anticipation this morning to be among the first to enjoy the 112th annual fair at the PNE. Here on the ground of the opening day of the Peony Fair and great weather. Folks have been lining up to be first out of the gate 
of this 112th year of this annual Vancouver tradition. So as you can imagine, the sights, the smells, the sounds of the fair are all here. And I got a chance to speak with some folks about how they're feeling about opening day. Take a look. Pretty excited yeah. to have the crowds coming back after a couple of years, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, now that she says that, yeah, it's, a, it's nice that it's all open up and we can just wander around. It's very exciting. I can't wait to see super dogs. I'm very excited for mini donuts. <laughs> I'm bringing my grandson Noah out here, and where first place we stopped was at Mini Donuts. I'm excited for the roller coasters. I think I've only ever done the wooden one once, so I'm excited. <laughs> the part I'm looking forward to opening day is just seeing everyone back, because I mean, like, it's been the, the last few years, no one's really able to go to festivals and stuff, and even last year was a little questionable, but uh, I'm just happy seeing everyone here having fun. So overall, a lot of excitement as folks are coming into the park. Um, this is the first year back to almost normal. They did keep a couple things from previous years, including limited capacity on folks coming into the park per day, as well as ride passes, which is a big thing because they're asking folks to get their ride passes online to make sure that it's not sold out. But all the other things you would imagine at the fair are here, including all the agriculture, the rides, the mini donuts, lots of exciting things, including some new features, including uh, Canoe Cultures Pavilion, where indigenous canoe carvers are demonstrating their art and their craft, as well as the summer night concerts, including lots of big, big acts, including Steve Miller Band, Patti LaBelle, TLC, as many, many others. So again, encouraging folks to go online to book your tickets in advance, make sure you can get your tickets and your ride tickets so you can get on these rides. Uh, Michael Newman reporting from the 112th PE Fair. What a great assignment. Those mini donuts look pretty good. <sighs> Barry Delay, good to see you. Yes, good to see you all. Uh, yeah, we're, we're all color coordinated today. Yes, yes, it's Purple Saturday today. <laughs> somewhere you in got that the memo. color palette. Uh, lions, I'm sure mm. that uh, Nathan Rourke's ankle or foot is uh, got a little purple in it today because uh, that's certainly the big story around here. The Lions won again last night, but uh, the story of this Nathan Rourke Hurt his uh, foot. Not really much of an update from the Lions today, So, but we will update uh, whatever we know, and we'll tell you all that uh, when we come back as well. And Canada's going for gold at the World Juniors Summer Tournament Edition in Edmonton as well, coming up. Okay, looking forward to that. Kasha Barry, we'll see you both soon. Coming up, the ancient industry that makes a comeback in D.C. The 17th century profession seeing business booming in the Okanagan. Meet the rickshaw driver raking it in. That's after the break. Stay with us. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Welcome back. Well, a Kelowna man who's been in the rickshaw driving business since 2013 has recently expanded his fleet after he noticed an increase in demand from tourists and locals alike. And as Jaden Wozni reports, the owner says it's likely because it's the first summer without pandemic restrictions in place since 2019. He'll show you around. He'll take you where you want to go. He's very accommodating. Dan Power has been rickshaw driving since he was 17 years old. For the past three summers, he's been transporting locals and tourists alike around Kelowna under his own company banner, Power Rickshaw. For Power and his passengers, it's been relatively smooth riding ever since. I just love seeing so many people on the streets having fun, enjoying the Okanagan. We have uh, the locals coming out and enjoying themselves, and we're seeing them week after week. And then there's people coming from out of town, and just trying to be the highlight of people's experience is what we're here for. 
Unfortunately for Power and his business, there were some bumps along the way. COVID restrictions led to less tourism, and that meant business slowed down. But now that restrictions have lifted, his business has not only bounced back, he's actually expanded his fleet with the addition of a new team member. This year is just, it's pre-pandemic era where we're back to having fun. People are out here enjoying themselves. Yeah, there are way more tourists. The bar is being open late again. It, it's huge for my business. Power says having the extra help this summer has allowed them to keep up with the increased demand. For his new driver, Kevin, the job experience has been priceless. I would say this is more than a job. It's more like a lifestyle because it's not like the money you make, like it's the experience you do, like you saw, you comfort zone, you get out of there, you be yourself with the clients and the people. And their riders will tell you, hopping on the rickshaw with Dan or Kevin is something you have to try when visiting Kelowna. I feel like it's a great way to like go up and down Bernard and like people watch and see everything Kelowna has to offer. Dave, it's our He'll favorite. Do some cool spins. Our favorite mode of transportation, honestly. <laughs> Why take a cab when you could take a rickshaw? <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for a ride through Kevin or Dan, just be sure to give them a wave in downtown Kelowna or wherever they are, and they'll be sure to stop and give you a lift. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. Okay, that looks like so much fun. Well, the streets of Nanaimo are being transformed into a race car track this weekend as the inaugural Hub City Derby kicked off today. Hundreds taking to the sidelines to take in the Soapbox Racing Derby. Some notable favorites, the Tesla Cyberbox and the Top Gun Race. Trophies in the adult and youth categories were awarded for fastest car, most creative and best dressed pit crew. Money raised goes to the Nanaimo Child Development Center. Parent sees that the, maybe they're not, their speech isn't developing or they're not crawling or walking at the same rate that they, a typical child would, then they can come to us and we can provide them services. It's, a, it's just so great to have the kind of community support that we do. Some of them are grimacing, some are looking absolutely terrified, some are just grinning all over their faces. And it's just really entertaining. About $10,000 has already been raised. The Zing Zing car won fastest in the youth category. Way to go. Coming up, keep your chin up. Meet the local man in the midst of an exhaustive world I think he's at about 1,500 and change. The push for 6,000 pull-ups. We head to the Tri-Cities to find out how it's going. That's coming up after Sports with Barry. Global BC wants to see you at the PNE Fair. Catch all the fun at this end of summer tradition, from attractions and entertainment to food and rides, and the stories that make it all come alive. The PNE Fair, in partnership with Global BC. The PNE is back for the 112th annual fair. Continue the summer tradition with can't miss attractions and entertainment, including the Super Dogs and the return of the summer night concerts. Plus, enjoy all the fun, games, rides, vendors, and treats you can eat. Head to the Queen Elizabeth Theatre to see Come From Away, a heartwarming show about the true story of 7,000 stranded passengers during 9-11 and the small town in Newfoundland that granted them a warm welcome. Tickets available at broadwayacrosscanada.ca. Brought to you in part by PNE. Fill up on fun at the PNE Fair. Don't miss the Super Dogs Summer Night Concerts, lots of food and thrilling rides. Celebrate to the fullest at the PNE Fair. 
Welcome back, and Barry Delay is back. Mm -hmm. uh, some not so great news for the Lions, I guess. Yeah, definitely yeah. took the zip out of another mm -hmm. impressive uh, performance last night in uh, Regina. Thanks so much, Sarah. Nathan Rourke did have his right foot examined today by team doctors in Vancouver, but the Lions only said that they will need more time to make a proper diagnosis and determine how long the young star quarterback will be out of the lineup. Rourke was shredding the Riders' defense to the tune of 375 yards passing and a pair of touchdowns when he was sacked early in the fourth quarter and twisted his right foot. Through nine games, Rourke has passed for nearly 3,300 yards, which would put him on pace to challenge Doug Flutie's all-time record. But now that is on the back burner as the Lions prepare for life with without the CFL's most dynamic player. And Rourke is hobbling off the field, and here's a huge wrench thrown into the storyline of this game. No weight on the right ankle. Oh, boy. I mean, he was um, feeling pain at the beginning on the sideline, but now he's got a smile on his face. He's happy the team won, and I think he's the same thing. I think he's just going to wait and be patient and see what we're dealing with. As hard it is, as it is to see a guy go down, especially a guy like Nathan, there's still work to be done. And, uh, you know, that's, that's you know, the thing about football. You got to put things like that out of your mind and, and go finish the job. We're just, we're just wishful, hope for the best at this point. Uh, I couldn't really talk to him at the time because Docs was talking to him. So I just went up to him and told him I'm going to pray for him. And uh, we're going to see what's, what's, what's next. Now, hopefully Rourke is back soon, but in the interim, it'll be the Lions' other Canadian quarterback, former UBC standout Michael O'Connor and third stringer Antonio Pipkin, who will lead the offense. I will say this, the offense will almost surely be less productive without Nathan, but the Lions' defense has been so good, it still gives the team every chance to win. For the second straight game against the Riders, the Lions' defense shut them out in the second half, and over the past four games, the D has given up just 12 points uh, in the second half, which is a good thing if you're a Lions fan. CFL tonight, Stampeders and Argos from Toronto. Stamps trying to keep the Lions in their sights in the West Division, tied at three in the second. Bowley by Mitchell, pitches out to Peyton Logan, who cuts it back to the inside. 29-yard touchdown. You could say it was Logan's run. I just did. The Stamps were down 16-10 at the half. Late third, now 19-10. Stamps defense helping to kickstart their stuttering offense. Bo Levi Mitchell actually got pulled at the half, has not played since, but this helps as El Buka, Eli Buka, picks off McLeod Bethel Thompson, takes it in for the touchdown. The Stamps have added a couple of field goals and lead 22-19 late in the fourth. In the east, Ticats and Alouettes from Montreal, late third tied at 18. Ticats quarterback Matt Schiltz going deep, connects with Tim White, makes the catch in stride, and then does the rest, cuts it back for a 64-yard touchdown. Hamilton leads by seven on the road, but the Alouettes had some big plays of their own. Late in the fourth, Trevor Harris for Reggie White Jr., and he'll take it in for the touchdown. Alouettes led by a single point. Now the Ticats took the lead with a field goal with under a minute to go, but Montreal would get into field goal range and David Cote on the final play from 48 yards out. It is good and the Alouettes take it 29-28. They're now 4-6. Ticats drop to 3-7. and seven. 
With Seattle's draw last night, the Whitecaps now find themselves below the playoff line again in the ultra-tight Western Conference of Major League Soccer. Whitecaps have another big one tonight in Salt Lake City. They're coming off one of their best performances of the season Wednesday night when they beat Colorado 2-1 at BC Place. Now they have to take that quality on the road and give themselves a fighting chance to get a result. And that means not falling into a big hole early like they did last week in Los Angeles in a 5-2 loss to the Galaxy. Well, I think a big point of emphasis, like we said, was to get off to a better start, right, and not dig ourselves a hole in terms of going down um, a goal. And, and we did that. You know, we, we went up 1-0, then we went up 2-0, and, um, you know, had a good performance from the start of the game. Didn't take us time to wake up. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll try and do that again and try and carry that into, you know, it's much better trying to protect the lead than trying to chase, chase, chase. So, um, you know, it's certainly been, was better this game, and we're trying to obviously do that again. Semifinals at the Odlum Brown Vancouver Open at Hollyburn right now. BC's own Vashik Pospisil in the semifinals against Frenchman Arthur Rinderknecht, who's world-ranked 58. So a good test for Vashik, who's finally healthy after elbow and back issues the past year. Vashik won this title in 2013 when he was just 23. Uh, lots of support, of course, for him, who, uh, for Vashik, who lives in Vancouver, raised in Vernon. Vashik wins this point early first set, but he lost that set 6-4. Their early second set tied at a game apiece right now at Hollyburn. World Juniors Summer Edition gold medal game from Edmonton, Canada, Finland. Canada yet to lose their 6-0, including a 6-3 win over the Finns in the preliminary round. Much bigger crowd tonight. Great atmosphere. Canada scores first. Habs draft pick Joshua Waugh on the door step converts the Mason McTavish rebound and it was one nothing Canada after one early second they get another William Dufour who was a star at the Memorial Cup for a Moncton a few months ago pull and drag rips it to the corner two nothing Canada and they'll try to make it three Logan Stankoven of uh, Kamloops springs Port Moody's Kent Johnson but the Blue Jackets star is stopped it remains 2-0, and they're just about to start the third in Edmonton. Blue Jays and Yankees, Toronto's won the first two games of this series, looking to take the lead in the second. Bo Bichette sends one to right, but Aaron Judge, who's pretty much got the AL MVP in the bag, uses all of that 6-7 frame to rob Bichette of a possible homer. Judge can hit the long ball, but he's pretty darn good defensively, too. Got more of that today from their, uh, pit, or their uh, hitting. As I'll say, Jackie Bradley Jr. will, uh, who they just picked up over a week ago with a two-run shot to left. That's a double to left. The veteran Bradley Jr. coming through. 2-1 Jays. Later in the inning, bases loaded for Alejandro Kirk. And he comes through as well. Hits one into the gap in left center. They can't get it. Everyone's going to try to score. Tapia is safe, but Vladdy Jr. is out at the plate. But they still did get a couple of uh, runs on that play and four in the inning to lead 4-1. Playing aggressive baseball under their new manager. Ninth inning, Matt Chapman puts this one to bed. A solo homer to center, his 24th. Jays win again, their fourth straight. 5-2 over the reeling Yankees, who have now lost 14 of 17. Third round of the BMW Championship, second FedEx Cup playoff tournament. And Will Zalatoris, who's the current leader in the standings, had a bad back, forced to pull out, but he will be in third place when they play the... Uh, 
Tour Championship next week if he's good enough to go. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin needs a big finish to advance to that final 30 Tour Championship. Made the birdie here, but not going to happen for Adam. He's 38th right now at two under, just too far back. Ontario's Taylor Pendrith also needs a top three or four this week to get in, and he is in the hunt, tied for seventh at seven under. Only the top 30 in the FedEx standings advance to the final week. That will be no problem for the defending champ, Patrick Cantlay. This helps. Third shot on the par five, 104 yards out. And Cantley is going to knock this one in for an eagle three. He is the leader at 12 under. Canadian Corey Connors contending as well. He's got a long birdie putt here at 13. This goes down, also birdied the 14th. So Corey got it to 10 under par, but stumbled a bit coming home on 18 after just missing his birdie. Barely Connors from a couple of feet and he misses to drop to eight under. Hopefully that is not costly. He's tied eight. That would get him to Atlanta. So he likely needs to be at least top 12. So the pressure on Corey Connors tomorrow. English Premiership Soccer today. Bournemouth taking on Arsenal. Gunners off to a great start to the season. And in this match, Martin Odegaard converts the rebound in the fifth minute. And it's 1-0 Arsenal out front on the road at Bournemouth. And then Odegaard again in the 11th. will hammer it in with the left foot. 2-0 at that point. 3-0 the final. And Arsenal off to a perfect 3-0 start this season. And in MLS, Toronto FC making a charge for the playoffs at Miami tonight. TFC three wins, two draws in five matches since they bolstered their lineup with the Italians Insigne and Bernardeschi. And on cue, Lorenzo Insigne will draw TFC. Even beautiful strike on the volley there, but they are down right now. 2-1 in the second half. And of course, the Whitecaps kick off at 7 and we'll have highlights of that from Salt Lake City tonight. Okay, looking forward to that. All very impressive feats of athleticism there. We're about to see another one after the break. We catch up with the BC man in the middle of doing 6,000 chin-ups. That's a lot of chin-ups. That's after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back. Okay, Barry and I were talking about this during the break. We can't even do one chin-up. For most of us, it's a daunting task. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm with you guys. <laughs> oh yeah, 15. <laughs> how about, if that, how about more than 6,000? He should break the world record around 5 o'clock Sunday morning. Meet Marcus De Silva, who is going strong still to beat the world record of Ooh. most chin-ups in 24 hours. De Silva from Burnaby is looking to surpass 6,000 chin-ups by tomorrow morning, as you heard from his dad there. The current record is just over 5,400. It's an attempt he's already made once before last year. He made it 70% of the way there. He actually did 3,731 chin-ups. And then, you know, his hands gave out and a few other things kind of went wrong. But, uh, but even at 70%, usually first attempters don't even make it to 50%. So he did quite well. Okay, I'm tired just looking at him. He would have interviewed Marcus, but he was doing chin-ups. <laughs> we will have an update on Marcus's progress tonight at 11. Kasia, you'll be back at 11 as well. Quick weather before we go. Yeah, we're looking up to sunny skies, dry conditions over the next several days and temperatures still above seasonal for some time with no rain in the forecast. Thunderstorms possible through the interior tomorrow. Okay, that's all for tonight. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here at 11. Have a great evening.